Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart Continuing Chapter 39 The Dew of Grace There is great danger in devoting oneself too assiduously to outside good works unless we continually watch over our soul to see whether we still keep in the law and walk in the straight way. It is so easy to let oneself be drawn away to the right or to the left. Skirmishers render good service in an army, but they are not the ones who carry off the victory. So you must not always be rushing forward, but must often retire within yourself to ask God for strength and meditate on the best way to use it. Here is a practical rule. If, instead of dominating your position, you are dominated by it, you are lost. What will become of a ship if, in spite of all the skill of its pilot, when its rudder has been carried away by the tempest? The rudder which guides you and moves you is recollection. Do everything in your power to preserve it, or you will go adrift. Then never say again, Oh, what a holy soul! See how zealous this person is! But does he live the interior life? If so, you may expect everything good from him. If not, he will come to nothing holy or great in the eyes of God. Therefore, be master of your exterior life. If it masters you, it will hurry you on to destruction. If your occupations leave you opportunity to contemplate our Lord interiorly, you are on the right road. Continue on it. If in the midst of action your thoughts turn to God, if you know how to prevent dryness and desolation of heart, if your exterior labors always leave you tired and weary, yet conscious of a deep inner peace, then that is excellent. You are free, and beneath the eye of God, your own master. When the apostles returned triumphant after having preached, healed, and performed all sorts of miracles, see what reward Jesus gave them. Come apart and rest a little. In other words, you have used up much energy. Come regain what you have lost. After Pentecost, the apostles, filled with the Holy Ghost, felt a boundless eagerness to be doing that is a mark of great souls. When they are in charge of some undertaking, they want to oversee everything and never think they have done enough so long as there is still something else to do. Thus Moses acted not only as leader and judge of Israel, but as representative of his people before God. The Lord commanded him, however, to share these offices with el other elders. Thus, too, the apostles cared for the poor, settled differences, preached, and baptized the multitudes. It never occurred to them that in dividing their time thus between preaching and the service of their neighbor, they had none left for prayer. That happens to all of us. We are overloaded with work. We might, of course, obtain help, but that hardly ever occurs to us. We must do everything ourselves. It is unwise. We wear ourselves out, and things go no better. We are carried away by the desire for action and self-sacrifice. But Peter, who above all the apostles was given special light, said one day, It is not fitting that we do everything. 
We have no time left for prayer. Let us choose deacons to serve the poor, but we will give our time to prayer and the ministry of the word. Who can claim to be holier and more filled with the Holy Spirit than the apostles? Poor pygmies that we are in the spiritual life, we ought to pray continually, day and night. Virtue which does not have its birth inwardly, beginning in thoughts, affections, and prayer, is not true virtue. Where is the ear of wheat during the winter? It is in the wheat grain beneath the ground. Virtue is a seed planted within you. You can cause it to grow only by prayer, cultivation of the inner life, and sacrifice. The kingdom of God is within you. You will never possess a solid external virtue, which is not in the first place internal. Do you not notice that God's work in us always begins with our inner life? Do you not feel interior temptations? It is God tilling and planting in your heart. Violent tempests will shake the fragile stalk of virtue that is beginning to grow in you and cause it to send out its roots. That is God's work. When an action causes, costs you an effort, it is not your hand or your body that is resisting, but your too feeble heart and will. You will have no virtues which are not first interior, which do not draw their life from within. How much virtue a soul possesses may be known from the depth of its inner life. This thought ought to be a practical guide for you. When you make a resolution to practice a certain virtue, resolve to practice it inwardly. Begin, that is, to exercise that virtue in prayer, in habits of thought, in meditation. Later on you will attain to its outward practice. It is the course our Lord follows in the Eucharist. Why does He come to us in communion? To visit us, certainly, but since He remains within us, he still has something else to do there. He comes to implant his virtues in our soul and make them grow, to form himself in us, to mold us in his image. He comes to accomplish our education in the divine life within us in such a way that he increases in us as we increase in him until we have reached full growth in the perfect man that is himself, Jesus Christ. Consider the state of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. Only the angels see his outward life. We see nothing of it. And nevertheless, we believe he does live there, as we believe in the sun, even when the clouds hide it from us. As we believe in the labor of nature, though it is entirely imperceptible to our senses. All this is evidence to us that the external life is not the only one but that there is also an invisible life, a life which is wholly interior, yet very real. When you receive communion, therefore, ask our Lord to live in you and let you live in Him. That is something entirely spiritual. It is not what most Christians ask. They receive communion, but their mind, their will and intention all are abroad, seeking external things, so that Jesus finds no one within to entertain him. To sum up, 
The power of virtue lies in the inner life. Where there is no inner life, there is no virtue, unless God performs a miracle for you. But, you will say, according to this principle, salvation is very difficult. I am not talking to people who do no more than follow strictly the commandments. They know their duties, and an upright conscience shows them what is good and what is evil. The fewness of their obligations saves them. But you want to live a life of piety, a life above the common, and enjoy the special favor of the Divine Master. You will have more to do. You advance in dignity, advance also in virtue. Your obligations are more numerous. The Savior, who loves you more and gives you more graces, demands more of you. Beware of falling into routine, which is so easy when you live a regular course of life and are occupied with external good works. Renew your intention frequently. Keep the roots of the tree fresh if you would have it bring forth fruits of salvation. Chapter 40 Insensibility of Heart I am smitten as grass, and my heart is withered. Psalm 102 Verse 5. St. Bernard, writing to Pope Eugenius, said, I fear, Eugenius, that multiplicity of affairs will make you abandon prayer, and that thus your heart will be hardened. The holy doctor wrote these words to a great pope occupied with the holiest affairs in the world, those of the church. We have with greater justice to apply them to ourselves, kept from prayer as we are by affairs of much less importance. It takes very little to distract us and turn us from prayer. Our little outer activities are enough to do that and may cause us to fall into spiritual insensibility, the greatest of all misfortunes. This insensibility or hardness of heart is greatly to be feared, for we need a heart that is sensitive and tender, one that will feel itself to be in the service of God, the unfeeling person will have no horror of himself if he falls into sin. He will be unconscious of his wounds, no matter how deep they may be. This sensibility is nothing but a liking for all we have to do and an aversion for the least sin. Understand me clearly. I am not speaking of the emotional sensibility of false devotees. To avoid exaggeration, I shall not speak of insensibility, which is involuntary. King David acknowledged that he sometimes felt in God's presence as stupid and insensible as a beast of burden. But he added, And I am always with thee. The stupidity of spirit is not always a punishment. It is a stage through which we pass in order to arrive at greater submission and humility before God. What must we do at such times? Nothing but remain patiently in that state. Do what we can and wait. Since this condition does not ordinarily indicate that we are at fault, we are not responsible for our dryness and for the tepidity of our prayers. God in His mercy reduces us to this state in order to prevent our thoughts from being diverted by trifles, in order to kindle a more ardent love in our heart and make our will firmer and more persevering. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emart, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. Call toll-free 1-877-395-2320.